Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Welcome to the Canon Cast, a weekly podcast from the Canon, an Espanation blog about your Columbus Blue Jackets. I'm your host, PD, and this week I'm joined by the birthday boy, Eric Seeds. Happy birthday, Eric. How's it going, man? Not too bad. You know, I asked for a uh, I asked for a Blue Jackets win on my birthday yesterday and uh, did not get it. I instead I was stuck seeing all the Penguins fans in the arena happy. So, you know, could I've had better birthdays, but all in all, one too bad. Yeah, that was a frustrating outcome. Uh, but I do, I thought just watching on TV that the Blue Jackets played a good game. They're going up against a good team, but they played hard and it was an evenly played game. They only lost by one goal, kind of a fluky goal. Would you agree that the Jackets had a good game? Yeah, that was absolutely my takeaway. Um, we talked about it in the car on the way home. Uh, I thought the Blue Jackets played well. They held their own, especially not having Zach Wierenski, sure. um, which, you know, it will hinder the team even on their best nights playing the worst teams. You know, not having him against one of the playoff teams in the Eastern Conference um, is a major setback. Uh, it was Elvis's first game back after a few days off. He was coming back from a lower body injury that he apparently tweaked in, like, practice or something. Mm-hmm. Right. So, um but it was good to see. I thought Elvis played pretty well for the most part yesterday, um, especially given the onslaught that he was under. I thought the team competed hard. Uh, they didn't look out of place. Uh, they had they had some genuinely good chances. They just weren't able to capitalize on a few. And then, yeah, they lost on kind of a fluky goal. Um, I, ha- I have since read about why that goal was counted and um, the ruling that the officials made. I understand why they made it. I dislike how it was made because uh, I just thought it was crap. And if that goal goes, if the, if it's going the other way, that goal is getting overturned in favor of the Penguins. So that was disappointing and frustrating in the arena. But they competed and looked uh, didn't look out of place, and it was an all around fun atmosphere. Also of note, I'm not sure if they brought this up on the television broadcast, but the team actually finally honored Brandon Dubinsky in the middle yes. of the game. Yeah, I'm not. Sure, I wasn't sure if they brought that up on TV, but they, uh, they actually sh- they showed him on the jumbotron and uh, like he acknowledged the crowd and got a got a big ovation. So that was really really cool. Um, I was very ha- I was very happy to see that they did that. I also thought it was perfect that 
they did it during a Penguins game. And, you know, after the fact, I saw the video that mm-hmm. the team posted on Twitter where they showed all of his highlights, most of them against the Penguins. Uh, and that, yeah, that was, was great. Really special. So, yeah, it was coming out of a commercial break that the that the broadcast showed that they they had done that. And they showed, you know, a shot of him waving to the crowd and sitting there in the crowd. And uh, he, he seemed happy about that. And I'm glad that he finally got that public acknowledgement from the team and the opportunity there for the fans to show their appreciation for him, because I think he deserved that because he was such an important piece for this team. And he had those great moments, some of the most memorable moments in franchise history that he was a part of. And so he deserved that, that recognition. I was glad that he got that. Absolutely. Yeah. He was a great soldier for a long time. Um, Scored one of the biggest goals in franchise history to this point. Um, yeah, it was really cool to see him get that acknowledgement. Uh, the team kind of finally crossed that bridge, and uh, or I guess they kind of repaired that bridge with him enough, at least, to honor him at the game. Mm-hmm. So that was that was really cool. It was I was glad I was there for that because as a longtime uh, fan of his, ever since like once he came over here, I was really glad to see him get that recognition. Yeah, you know, it's interesting that you know Portsline had the interview with him recently, and and. You know, Dubinsky was was not happy with the way that his role got diminished towards the end of his career there. But at the same time, like, he obviously still liked Columbus enough to stay here and still likes the Jackets enough that he became a season ticket holder. You yeah. Know? So he doesn't have that much animosity against the team itself as a concept. He's still willing to come here and, root, and cheer him on and everything. So, which is nice. And, and yeah, so hopefully I, I'd like there, I don't know if there's, if he has any interest in being involved with the organization, I'd like to see that happen at some point. Um, you know, maybe not as a, I know he's got some business interest and stuff, so maybe he doesn't have the time to be a, a coach, but even as a team ambassador type Yeah, like role, a special like, ambassador to yeah, the organization like or something like that. Yeah. Cause I guess he's like big into real estate now, yeah. which I'm, I'm, the the mental image of Brandon Dubinsky at his zoning board meeting just <laughs> is the funniest thing I've ever I, I could possibly picture. But um. yes, yeah, that is absolutely hilarious. Um, so we do need to talk about that that goal um, because I feel like I was one of the only Jackets fans that was acknowledging at the time that it was a good goal. Um, so I had read an article last year that Sean McAdoo of the Athletic had written because uh, there are a lot of controversial goalie interference calls during the playoffs. And so he wrote an article explaining, no, it actually is a lot more consistent than fans think. And he explained the rules and he gave examples of, you know, calls that had been overturned one way or the other and and the reasons why based on his explanation. Then I knew once I saw that replay, so even before the refs announced, I'm like, this is going to stand because the, the fundamental thing that he pointed out is that, uh, it matters where the contact happens. Basically, the goalie has the right to the crease, but outside of the crease, it's flipped, and the goalie does not have a right to free movement there. So the fact that Elvis initiated the contact while Crosby was completely outside of the crease, so it doesn't matter that Elvis's skate was still in the crease there. The fact that Crosby was outside of it and Elvis contacted Crosby, therefore, you know, it was going to stand as, as a good goal. Now, I do feel like they could have called a high stick on Crosby because his stick was at, you know, head level and hit Elvis's glove and knocked the puck out. But I don't know if that's something that could have been challenged or could have been reviewed. I don't know. Uh, But based on what was being challenged, the goalie interference, 
that was not goalie interference. And I, I don't like this narrative of like, well, if the rules were reversed, it would have gone the other way. Like, you know, I've, I've, I've bitched about that in the past, but looking at it now, you know, cause I disagreed with the jackets fans. It's like, wow, we come across as really, really whiny. And I'm just kind of sick of this narrative of, Oh, will they get all the calls after, you know, it's like, at some point we need to get over that. You know, we need to, it just looks really poorly on us. If we're the ones always complaining about that sort of thing. Uh, at some point as a franchise and as a fan base, we need to get past that. And eventually, you know, the tables are going to turn. We'll just be a good enough team that those kind of calls aren't going to matter. So I think we need to stop complaining about them. Yeah, no, I would agree. Um, the the franchise and fan base does have a tendency to have a kind of a little brother syndrome that's mm-hmm. unbecoming of the fans that I, you know, and I can count myself among it because you heard me say, you know, this is a crap call earlier. I understand why the call was made. I just don't like it. I don't want it. It's annoying that it seems like all of these marginal calls and breaks happen to go pittsburgh's way every time we play them and i am just really really sick and tired of it i am i long for the day Sidney crosby is no longer a penguin and that franchise goes back to 1500 people in the building because that's what they do i cannot stand that organization cannot stand that franchise cannot stand the fans of that team and i want nothing but misery from them forever yeah i i, I totally get that it it, it it's annoying because because it's the Penguins. It's annoying because it is Crosby, of all players, on the Penguins. It's annoying because there were so many of their fans in the building. It's annoying because it was such a close game, and it's such a fluky goal to happen, and you hate to lose a game on a play like that. Yeah, exactly. And that's and that's my more my entire frustration with it, is like, I, it's, I thought the team played well enough yesterday to deserve the game being decided on something more legitimate than whatever that play was. Mm-hmm. And it's unfortunate that it worked out that way. Um, but yeah, I think to your larger point, I think we as a fan base need to be better about not, you know, complaining about every single call. Like, Oh, this is, this is the worst thing to happen since I don't know um, ever. But <laughs> I think, Yes, but it's, it's like like you said, it's just it's it's frustrating that, that it happened in that way and that the team lost because of that. Because I thought they otherwise played a very uh, a very good game. They played very composed. I thought Cole Sillinger was pretty good for most of the part yesterday, most of the game yesterday. Thought um, Boone Jenner was obviously excellent yesterday. Uh, continues his run of solid good play. Um, yeah, it's just I, I mean, if you had told me before this point or before this like four game stretch against, you know, difficult teams, Blue Jackets are going to, they're going to lose to the pits, the Penguins. I would have been like, yeah, sure. But they're going to split Carolina and Toronto. And I'm like, okay. Or Carolina and uh, Florida. I'm like, yeah, I'm okay with that. Like this is a, this is, this is a good outcome. So all in all, the last week was, you, you saw some positives there that can be built on. There were some frustrating moments. Um, and you saw that Columbus just right now isn't in that upper echelon of hockey teams in the NHL. And we all know that, but they on any, on any night can acquit themselves well. And I think they, for the most part over the last week have done that. Well, they showed that 
even if they are not in the upper echelon of teams, that when they when they show up and they play their best game, they can hang with those good teams and even beat those good teams. And, and you know, I wasn't sure if they would. You know, we talked last week about how, you know, they had this winning streak, but they were playing a lot of weaker teams. And could they continue winning when the competition level was increased? And through those first two games last week, well, yeah, yeah, they did. <laughs> they they stepped up, they, they got the job, and they did it with, you know, Barubi in goal. Um, you know, the Florida game was without Zach Wierenski, and it didn't and it didn't matter. They were able to step up, next guy up, get the job done, get get those wins. And it has to be a huge confidence boost. The Carolina loss, you know, I think that one that was just a fatigue thing because the Florida game was so hard. I mean, they had to play the next night. Carolina was well rested. They were at home. They hadn't played since Monday. They were wanting to get revenge after losing badly the last time. So there was just a lot of circumstances. So I, I'm willing to scratch that game of like, all right, that was a lost cause. We weren't going to win that one anyway. Fine. So I wanted to see how they'd respond. And the fact that they came out against Pittsburgh playing the same way they'd played against Toronto and Florida. So I that shows that, okay, this is a team that is learning. They've figured out the right way to play. And hopefully that they can keep that going forward yeah no i agree with all that yeah i I would like to see them but most of the way down the stretch here you know find that consistency that they have on their night on their best night and kind of Mm -hmm. make sure we see that more going forward um see that night in night out solid effort um make sure that we make sure that the guy you know you guys are showing up you're working hard and you know, if they if they play that way down the stretch, they'll probably win more games than they lose. They'll obviously lose some games, but they'll you know that that that's a solid foundation to build on heading into next season. Absolutely, and we're going to take a break now. Afterwards, we're going to talk about a Jackets player who is starting to improve, kind of under the radar. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Hello, I'm Nilay Patel, the editor-in-chief of The Verge and host of Decoder, a business podcast where I interview CEOs about big ideas, the problems that come from those ideas, and how they make decisions. It is also surprisingly about org charts. It comes up a lot. We're launching a new limited series that we're calling the Centennial Series, where I talk to CEOs of companies that are over 100 years old, like Xerox, Barnes & Noble, and more. There's no 100-year-old company that's without its struggles, and it's been fascinating to talk to these CEOs about which parts of these companies' history are important and which parts they can let go. A little spoiler for you, if a company is over 100 years old, there's a lot of drama to talk about. It's been a good time. You can listen to the Centennial series right in the Decoder feed. New episodes of Decoder are out on Tuesday, and the Centennial series is out on Thursdays. Check it out. We think you're really going to like it. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts. Right, we're back. And the player that I want to talk about, I wrote about him this morning. 
someone that I think a lot of us had dismissed after a rough start and sort of thought of him as a lost cause. But Jack Roslevic is, I think, starting to come into form here. He had six points in the month of February, uh, he, including a two-point game against Pittsburgh. One goal, one assist. He was great. Uh, during the Florida game, he got moved up the lineup. He got put on the second line there between Nyquist and Bjorkstrand. Sillinger got bumped down to the fourth line. Um, and Sillinger's been fine on that line. And Roslevic has started to really thrive between Nyquist and Bjorkstrand. Obviously, those guys are both great and playing well. But now you look at Roslevic's numbers, and he's still, you know, his average time on ice for the season, it's, you know, like just over 10. But he has 24 points in 52 games. Look at that pace for an 82-game season. That puts him, like, maybe just shy of 40 points. If he can start to play for the rest of the season the way he's played in February, like, he could easily then eclipse... 40 points. So if you look at that and if you look at him playing second line minutes now, like as a 25 year old middle six forward putting up those kind of points, like that's about what you'd want to expect from Jack Rosovic, right? Yeah. Um, didn't, um, obviously I was extreme. I've been extremely out on Jack Rosovic for much of the season. I don't really thought, I thought he had kind of become expendable on the, on a roster with Boone Jenner, Cole Sillinger, and Sean Corrali. Frankly, I was taught, you know, we've talked in the Slack before, and I've mentioned in on Twitter, like, I expected him to be dealt at the trade deadline this yeah. year for, you know, sent somewhere, because I couldn't see the team re-signing him. Um, they still might not, they still might deal him, but he's certainly playing well uh, this last stretch. Um, he was great in the Florida game, uh, two, two assists in that game. Uh, he's got four points in his last five games. Um, he was certainly noticeable every shift he took against the Penguins. I thought he played very well in that game. He was, uh, very, very effective offensively. Uh, defensively, he still leaves a little bit to be desired, but that's not really his game. He, but he mm-hmm. has been contributing more offensively, he's been more noticeable. I don't know if there's a more pep in his step or if he's just playing with some better line mates right now, but I've been thoroughly impressed with how he has handled a difficult season. He is, uh, obviously, um, his production is way down. His ice time is way down. Um, but he's not made really a fuss about it. He's never yeah. complained in the media, never complained in, in, in print, never like, you know, had sources say Jack Rosovic is, you know, mm-hmm. you know, like whatever James Harden was doing up in <laughs> Brooklyn. Um, he's just put his head down and gone to work and accepted the role that he was, that he's been dealt and he's done it. And now he's seeing a little bit of the rewards. Um, and that's good. And that's good. That's all we can really ask for from him. He, I thought he's, yeah, his, his performance of late has been, is picked up and I am glad to see it for his sake. Yeah. And he, uh, it's interesting that with the injuries to Alexander Texier and Eric Robinson, there were suddenly holes on penalty kill and Larson went ahead and like, all right, let's see what Jack Roswell can do on the penalty. Despite again, having reputation of being not good at defense at all, (laughs) but you know, the Jackets penalty kill, despite losing those two guys, has continued to be really good. It's a top 10 penalty kill in the league. Um, it has been pretty much all season outside of December. And so he's contributing to that. I think he fits well, especially in that power kill role, mm-hmm. where he's a guy that he plays at the top of the formation 
And if he can get the puck, he's got the speed that he can be a breakaway threat. He's got the shooting ability that he could maybe start scoring some shorthanders. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a case that we saw with Texier where here's a guy that was not producing offensively. And so they put him in a defensive role and something about focusing on that side of the game helps his confidence or changes his focus. And that all of a sudden unlocks something offensively then. Like he gets his confidence back to be producing offensively. Now, Roslovic was never, he's still been, even in the fourth line role, has been sheltered at five on five, still been getting mostly offensive deployment. But yeah, he's been playing well as a penalty killer. And then that has made him more productive on offense at five on five. All of his points in February came at five on five. He has obviously been doing better, having better line mates now on the second line, but he got promoted because he was doing well and was doing better on the fourth line. So it's really encouraging to see that he went through that rough stretch. He didn't let it get him down. He put in the work, earned the coach's trust, and then got that promotion. And so, yeah, I feel like he's not going to get traded at the deadline. And I I think if he can keep this up for the rest of the season, then the team will definitely want to re-sign him, you know, especially considering how they got him, that they've always been very high on him as a player. Now he's not he's not gonna be seen as a star or even as a core player of this team necessarily. He's not going to be this great top six center, like as a middle six guy that can score and he's got speed that works hard. So, you know, you sign him to a deal, maybe similar to what Corrales is making and like, okay, those guys can be your third and fourth line center in some combination, you know, and can maybe play up on the second line if necessary or with a riding hot streak or whatever. Um, you know, so sign him, you know, to a, right. You want to get, you want to give him, yeah, give him three years, three and a half, four million. Fine. Whatever. Yeah, that seems yeah. very reasonable on a team like this. Yeah, that's yeah, and he can yeah, three years, three and a half, four million. It's not like, you know, we're gonna be doing anything extravagant with our cap space in the next couple of years and uh and we're gonna need, you know, bodies until the team is like ready to really start ramping up to contention in the, a few years and Corral or Corrali. Uh Brosovic is uh absolutely a guy who can, you know, like you said, play him play a middle six role, you know, bring some energy, just put his head down, um, work every shift, uh, show up, show up every day and just not complain about your role and go about being a pro. And that's, you know, there's a, there's a lot worse, you know, role models to learn from than a guy who just puts his head down and does what's asked of him and, you know, executes on every shift as best he can. Um, yeah, I'd be, I'd be fine if they wanted to keep him around and sign him to some kind of deal like that. Like he's, he's certain, and he certainly seems to like the city, um, Seems to obviously he's from here, but he's, he seems to like the club. You know, we haven't heard a peep from him about his situation this year, even though it's been a tough one. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, be totally. Um, I've been pleasantly surprised this last stretch with Jack Roslevic. I've been quite pleasantly surprised. Yeah, and, and you know we still because of our center situation, like he still helps with that. He provides us some center depth. Now, hopefully. In the next couple of years, we can add some young centers with a lot of upside. And at that point, once we have more center depth, then if he, again, if he's on that reasonable kind of contract, 
then he could be trade bait again at that point because a center like that that hustles, there's always going to be a market for that kind of player. You know, teams are always going to want that kind of guy in their depth. So maybe we keep him as a depth guy or we can trade him if necessary if we don't need him anymore. You know, so uh, I think that gives the team a lot of options going forward, but I do see him in the short term continuing to be a part of this team. Yeah, and I'd be fine with that. All right, so in the time we have left, uh, the week coming up, the Jackets have three games. They host New Jersey on Tuesday for their final game against the Devils. They're 2-1 and one against them this year. On Friday, they host the LA Kings, who have been a um, an improved team this year, uh, are definitely in the thick of the playoff race in the Pacific, um, a young team that is coming out of their own rebuild. And then on Saturday, big game, first game against the Bruins, uh, a team that were just, I think, 11 points behind. Uh, and this is the homecoming of Nick Foligno. It'll be interesting to see uh, the reaction there. Good to see him again. And, of course, the retirement of Rick Nash. So, first of all, for on the ice, what sort of record are you expecting from those three games? Well, um, while L.A. is in the thick of the playoff race in the Pacific, I think that is more of a function of the Pacific is sure. bad. Yeah. The Pacific sucks. Um LA has pleasantly surprised and uh, played well this year, but I, I, I don't really think they're all that in a bag of chips. I think <laughs> that they're, I mean, like like they're second in the Pacific right now, behind a very broken and injured Vegas team. Edmonton is a train wreck, and they are a couple points behind Calgary. So LA is fine. I would expect the Blue Jackets to compete in possibly win that game. I certainly expect them to beat New Jersey. Mm-hmm. And then um, I, I'll be honest. You could tell me they win that game on Saturday by 10 or they lose by 10 just because they're, the emotions are so all over the place and neither outcome would surprise me. I honestly have no idea what to expect from that game. And I'm really interested. I hope we, before this is over, dive a little more into what we expect on Saturday because it's going to be a lot. You know, Nick Felino's coming back, the former captain. Um, franchise is retiring their first number on Saturday night. It's going to, you know, they're asking for fans in the door an hour and a half before faceoff, which seems excessive to me. But <laughs> I I don't know. It's it's gonna, Saturday's going to be a lot. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Um, it'll, be my, it'll be my first time in a few months at, there for a game. And, um, you know, I've got complex feelings about Rick Nash, and I've written about that. But... Um, I think it's well-deserved that he's getting his number retired. Um, he was a important player for the franchise for a lot of years. Um, it didn't end up the way we wanted it, but um, but he still accomplished a lot here and still holds a lot of franchise records. Uh, he is, you know, it's cool that he's back with the organization and playing a key role in the organization as director of development now. Uh, I, they've announced that Doug McLean is going to be part of the oh, I look. I- if we, I, I, I will be in the arena and booing Doug McClay. Yeah. The, I, I will absolutely be booing him. We'll see what kind of reaction he gets. Uh, Ken Hitchcock is going to be there. It'll be good to see Hitch again. Uh, you know, he was, he was important for the team. I'm looking forward to there will be a ceremonial puck drop before the game and that Nash will do it. And I'm, what I'm hoping is that the Bruins, instead of sending out Bergeron, that they send out Felino. And I'd mm-hmm. love to see that picture of Nash between Jenner and Felino, the last three 
Jackets captains. That would be really, really cool. Um, and it's it's kind and it's almost kind of a shame that you know that Felino's homecoming is not the star attraction of the night, but because he deserves that. But I think he's still going to get a hell of an ovation uh, during the first commercial break whenever they show him back. Because again, he, he's another guy like Dubinsky who meant so much to this franchise for a stretch of a lot of success. Um, and again, scored arguably the biggest goal in franchise history. So I, I, I got the tickets to this game as part of my plan because I wanted to be there for Felino's comeback. Uh, it just so happened then. Oh, and then they announced, okay, Nash is, is going to get retired. So it's like, it's a two for there and I'm really excited for it. Yeah. We just, uh, we just sprung and bought tickets last weekend to, um, the the games we didn't we did not have it we uh we prioritized Kim Atkinson's return um yeah, I've got that as well <laughs> um but uh yeah no I think Felino is obviously going to get a deserved ovation um last captain you know the arena is going to go nuts when they show the uh highlight of him scoring against the Penguins as probably the capper to his welcome back video and mm-hmm. the arena is going to go nuts and I know it's going to mean a lot for him to see the ovation he gets from the fans um I have also a lot of complicated feelings about Rick Nash that I have written and discussed numerous times. Mm -hmm. Um, I did not feel that he was worthy of having his number retired. I've come more around to it as we get closer, or I guess more accepted that it is going to happen. I recognize that for a long time, he was the only player on this franchise that mattered in a league wide sense. I'm not sure. I've for a long time have held that that alone does not make you worthy of having your number retired. But um, Nash has done a lot of good. He's, he he scored arguably one of the, one of the greatest goals in the league in the last 15 years when he danced through uh, the Arizona coyotes that one time, that was really cool. I have accepted that he, for all of his, all the work he's done, for the franchise and advocating for the franchise when it was in its darkest days in the early two thousands, um, through no fault of his own, he was put in an impossible situation, um, made captain when he probably was never suited to that role. Um, had nothing around him. Thanks to the aforementioned Doug McLean. (laughs) He, he did all he could and gave his best to the organization. And when it became clear that it wasn't going to work out, he made sure he, orchestrated his exit in such a way that it improved the fortunes of the organization going forward. So for that, I understand why they are retiring his number and I've come to accept. Yeah. You know, and I, I didn't like that explanation at the time. I thought that that was kind of just PR BS, but you know, he was right. You know, that, that, that that trade was huge and it it is what the franchise needed. And it was a summer of, of reshaping the team and it needed to be reshaped. And ultimately that it was successful. It started, you know, that new run of success and, and he wasn't part of it. And that's a shame. And I also feel like it's not fair to compare, you know, our Jersey retirement standards to those of other teams, because those are other franchises with a lot more history, a lot more success. You know, we are a team that doesn't have any banners to hang and, having 61 there is something that will help tell the history of the Jackets franchise. And for generations to come, people can look up and say, all right, who is Nash? 
And I think it's important to tell, if you're telling the story of the Jackets franchise, it has to include Rick Nash and what he did. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, that was, that was the first homegrown star player that we had. And he scored a ton of goals here. And he was part of the, you know, the first team to make the playoffs. And he was the first homegrown captain of the team and, and all that. So for, for the first decade of Jackets history, as little success as there was in that decade, if there's one player from that time that needs to be recognized for posterity, it's Rick Nash. Yep, I would agree with that. Um, I think he is probably to date the only player who deserves to have their number retired. Whenever it happens, we can have the Sergei Bobrovsky conversation, <laughs> but I don't think, I, I put it another way, I wouldn't want to see Felino or Jenner's numbers up in the rafters. Ooh. We can have the Bob conversation yeah. at a later date, but yeah, well, you know, yeah, Bob's one. I think uh, again, if you're wanting to tell the story of the second decade of the Blue Jackets history, yeah, I don't think there's any. It starts with how time. Philadelphia screwed up their goaltending yet again. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, again, Bob was, and again, if you talk about Jackets players that have won major awards, Nash won the Richard Trophy in his second year. Bob won two Vesnas. Can we just, I would just like to highlight how cool of a Richard that year that was, because while the goal total was only 41, which is not a lot, it was Nash and Aginla, two players who were just so cool. Like, yeah. both those guys rock. Yeah, and then they were part of that uh, tremendous first line for Canada, the Olympics with Crosby at center. I mean, that was just, how could that team not win a gold medal with those guys on the ice? It was insane. Yeah. So yeah, so excited for Saturday. It should be it should be a lot of fun. Although I would like to reiterate that I think them asking us to be in the building an hour and a half before faceoff is obnoxious. Yeah, that's it's going to be a long night. I'm not looking forward to that because I'm an old man. But I am excited to see that. Hopefully, a lot of you fans there will be there as well. We'll see you there. And thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week. For more content from the Canon, go to jacketscanon.com. You can also follow The Canon on Facebook and on Twitter at CBJ Canon. If you like this podcast, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, and be sure to subscribe on Apple, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Our theme music is the song Green Eyes by Angela Purley and the Howlin' Moons. Go to AngelaPurley.com for more music and show dates.